everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show. After the Jets' second straight win, a 5-3 victory over the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I'll say this. I don't think it is very often that a game in the NHL plays out the way it should. What I mean by that is, you know, like the deserve to win a meter, I think, is rarely ever reflected in the score, right? A team can be dominant. And they can, you know, win the game 4-3 or a team can not be that dominant. They can blow a team out. A 7-0 victory when you took a, take a look at the advanced stats behind it may not be that impressive. And behind the scenes, a 4-3 victory and the advanced stats could tell you that it was an absolutely dominant victory. I think fans know all about this because the Jets, we've seen a number of games this season where they hellebucked the other teams or they've opportunistically outscored the other teams. Um, and, and won games that they may not have had the deserve to win a meter, win a meter in this in their favor. I take a look at this game here tonight, and I think the five three victory by the Winnipeg Jets is a representation of exactly what this game deserved. The Winnipeg Jets were the better of these two teams. I don't know that they were better to the degree that I was listening to the broadcast. I don't know that I necessarily agreed that it was like a runaway by the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I think the offense for the, the two teams looks a little bit different in the case of the Winnipeg Jets. Their offense usually comes pouring on when they like grab it and hop all over uh, a team and kind of cram it down their throats. And I think that's what that feeling, you know, that happened for a while. They're a good chunk of the second period is why that feeling exists in this game. Um, although the Jets did their their fair share of opportunistic scoring, getting three goals in the first six shots of the game after they are outshot 5-1 to start the game or something like that. A very typical Winnipeg Jets uh, start, to be honest. One that I was starting to get concerned they would fall back into their old habits. I don't think they did that. Um, I take a look at the goals that they scored earlier on. Their very first goal of the game is the kind of game that uh, Rick Bonus wants them scoring. I know in the last podcast that we did, I picked my lamplighter with the Blake Wheeler goal because it was the grinder goal where the puck simply bounces off him in front of the net. Not because it was the nicest goal, but because that would be the exact kind of goal Rick Bonus would want them scoring. I hadn't seen it. We were too busy with the Kenny and Rennie live party at the Trans-Canada Brewing Company. But Rick Bonus said as much uh, in his post-game comments after that game. That's how he felt about it, that 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 Wheeler goal is the kind of offense they're trying to generate. And that's how they get started in this game. Grab the puck, cram it down their throat low, make the Philadelphia Flyers collapse, throw it back up high. And then you get that shot on net. And as players are turning to try and fill the void they've left behind to reach the defense, then you get in behind those guys. And that's when you redirect those pucks. Axel Janssen Fialbi does what we've seen Blake Wheeler do this year, what we've seen uh, um, Mark Shifley do this year, what we've seen, you know, basically everybody, Kyle Connor, if you remember, he had that nice tip in where he reached around the guy and one hand tipped the puck in the back of the net. The reason why Rick Bonus loves this offense is from the top guy on this team to the bottom guy, you can score like that. And you can count on goals like that if you play that style. But then the Jets come out and they show a little bit of the other stuff that they do well. The second goal is a mistake by the Philadelphia Flyers. They go down too low, uh, create the turnover. I love that pass by Cole Perfetti. I love that finish by Kyle Connor. That's definitely a lamplighter candidate. And then you've got, it's a little bit of the snake charmer kind of stuff, but I love the way that, 
Uh, the speed that we saw from Nick Ehlers there, I love the way that Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley played off that speed. If you take a look, it's the speed of Nick Ehlers that draws not only the defenseman, who's the right side defenseman who follows him around the net, but the left side defenseman, rather than filling the void left behind by the right side defenseman, gets sucked in by his speed as well. And you can see there's a great low camera angle down in the corner where Mark Shifley just sets up camp knowing that this guy is gone. And you know Blake Wheeler sees the ice extremely well. If he gets the puck, he knows exactly where he's going with it, and it's in the back of the net, right? But the Jets kept pushing after that. They kept trying to get the right kind of offense. I think... Uh, I know some people won't agree with this. I think the Philadelphia Flyers earned their way back into that game. I'm not saying that at the point that this was a 3-3 game that the Jets weren't the better team, but I think they weren't the better team to the degree that this would have been a blowout and it couldn't have been a tie game. But the Jets keep going. They get a grinder goal just kind of seems to fit with me in the theme of this game because some of the Flyers' best opportunities didn't end up in the back of the net. Uh, we'll get talking about that and David Riddick and the role that he played in this. But I think 5-3 victory by the Winnipeg Jets, uh, driven largely, and I won't go too far into this, but driven in my mind almost entirely by their goaltending and by their fourth line is the kind of victory you want to get. This is another one of those games. I've talked about this before. I talked about the Buffalo Sabres win where they won three to two, where a lot of people thought the Detroit Red Wings game before that was the better of the two games. I thought the Buffalo game was because I thought Rick Bonus managed the game better. This is a game where Rick Bonus won the coaching matchup outmanage this game compared to John Tortorella. And it's the reason the Winnipeg Jets are victorious in 5-3 and now we're on a two-game winning streak. We're going to dig into a whole bunch of that. I know a guy who's great at digging into this kind of stuff. You know what? We should bring him into the show. Let's do exactly that. Let's bring our main man, Ken, in here. The man with the best music in the business. I didn't get to hear this at the last show because uh, the audio wasn't working for me. So I'm going to crank this up. I may just play it twice. Here we go. Here comes Ken. Ken, I can tell already this is going to be a good show because we managed to wear different outfits for this one, which good is start. always yes, a good, good start, start, unlike last time where we were thing one and thing two at the party. Um, I thought you looked good in the wake-up shirt, but I don't think it was you need good. to apologize anymore. I don't think you should I know. apologize. Good. I liked it. It's, uh, it's, it's, I felt, I felt brave in it. I felt like walking around telling people, wake up. What are you doing over there? Wake up. Hey, we could use another beer over here. Wake up. I was doing it all night. It was great. Just pointed to the shirt sometimes, got a little arrogant with it. It was absolutely great. Um, speaking of your song, uh, fun moment for me at the party yesterday. I know I brought it up when people were singing along. How awesome is it? that we have music on this podcast that people sing along to 
And boy, we had a nice long conversation with Tristan Rivers after yeah. the show was awesome. over, after the party was over. He stuck around for a while. You know all about our technical issues. He knew about them. He knows how to fix them. He's kind of looked at us kind of with a sympathetic look, I thought, Ken, of like, oh, you guys, you troglodytes, you don't know how to figure this kind of stuff out. We may have to lean on him in the future. But I just go back to the music that he's created for the singing he's doing for the podcast space in the city. It was a pleasure to meet him. It's a pleasure to listen to your music. I think it fits you perfectly. I set, think it sets the tone for you to come in and hit that buffet. And that's what I want to see you do now. Hit the buffet. Tell us what you saw out there tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think if it's interesting. I don't really think the Jets let off the gas pedal, at least not a whole lot anyway. I mean, yes, I think maybe they made a you know ill-advised decision maybe on the the pinch. In the, I mean, some Rick Bonus also said he didn't really like the read. Uh, through the neutral zone. I know some folks were wondering about the line change. I mean, Blake Wheeler had been on the ice for a minute and three seconds. So he, he thought it was, you know, the puck was in the offensive zone. So he was trying to get off. So yeah, um, I, I don't blame Wheeler on that line change really either. Uh, I know some folks were wondering about it. I, I'm not one of those folks. And this is what I would say about the pinch. I'm actually surprised Rick called it a bad pinch. I mean, the Jets would generally want to be aggressive. But I think, Sean, I mean, late in the period, I think that's maybe more situational, right? I mean, I think if that's a tie game, maybe Sandberg gets the green light to pinch there. But leading by three goals, I think the safer play is just to, you know, just go into the, you know, play that as a two on two or a three on three and, and don't don't give them a chance to turn it into an odd man rush, I think ultimately is what he was talking about. So, um, and the only, the only way the Jets really allowed Philadelphia back in the game and I, I'm with you I give them full marks for keeping their work boots on to yep. get themselves back into it but I don't think it was the Jets like we've seen these games from the Jets and you mentioned it I mean sometimes when the snake charmer offense shows up then it can get to be point night and the Jets tilt away from their structure that wasn't the case either I mean Kevin Hayes scores two power play goals one on a rebound one from a near impossible angle where I mean I, and I don't think that Riddick was slow to get over he just couldn't cl- close the post off quickly enough on the first one from the sharp angle uh, shot and then on the rebound he didn't really have much of a chance uh, on that one either so it's super interesting I mean I don't think that the I would not be concerned at all if 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 I were Rick Bonus or if I played for the Jets Um, they were in control of the game I just think that the the goaltender Felix uh, Sandstrom did a great job of keeping his team in it the Jets kind of let off the pedal late in the first period and I mean, that's classic Rick Bonus, right? In a game where his team was really smart, um, he didn't like the fact that they gave up a late goal. So, I mean, I love that he pointed that out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, a good, 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 solid victory for them. They found a way to get it done. I mean, goals from all four lines, five assists from the defensemen, um, all of those things. I mean, I, I think that, you know, could the Jets have played better? Yes. I just think it would be, that game could have easily turned into a, a laugher, but the Flyers found a way to uh, you don't agree I understand that I don't agree I'm not saying it was one I'm just saying that I don't think that the Jets were um, you know any less sharp they barely gave up anything five on five uh, in my in my opinion Um, yes there were a couple saves that Riddick had to make sure when he had to you know especially coming across on it and I mean let's also the Jets were opportunistic early also and that's when two teams are playing back to back you need to be opportunistic when you're on both sides of the of the coin. Um, so for me, I mean, I, I like I said, I'm not saying the Jets or the Flyers should have rolled over, um, but I do think that the Jets 
were very good in structure. Their penalty kill wasn't quite as sharp as as usual. But I mean, I don't. I also don't think there were terrible breakdowns. I mean, the first one from Hayes. You, you'll give up that shot where Hayes shot from all day long. That's the least yeah. dangerous place on the ice. He's basically a foot and a half or two feet above the goal line. So to me, that was nothing. Um, so and and the other one is is just a rebound that you know you can't cover every person. So I mean, both teams are three and four. Uh, there are going to be some. Uh, mistakes that are made but in a game where the Jets had gone previously 18 for 18 in their previous six games with the penalty kill uh, they gave up two and four chances so I mean that that that's not going to happen often and even after giving up two for four the Jets are still second in the NHL behind only the Boston Bruins their penalty kill is operating at 83.8 percent they're second in the NHL so uh, much like folks who you know seem to overreact over uh, you know if a four goals happen to sneak by Connor Hellebuck, this is a this is not a red flag situation for the Jets' defense uh, penalty kill as a whole. I didn't think that they were. I mean, in the first one, they had killed off I think a minute forty almost. So I mean, it came late and it came on a rebound as I mentioned. So uh, overall, I would say the Jets were fine. Uh, I would also say Sean too. I mean, you, you know this. I mean. Games against teams like the Flyers are difficult because when they fall behind 3-0, they don't care about raising the risk profile. They crank it right up. I mean, uh, I'd be curious. I mean, I'm going to ask you flat out here. Which penalty did you think Rick thought was the bad one? Do you think it was the interference on Schmidt or the the skate lock uh, tripping that Axel Janssen Fialbi had? Because after the game, Rick didn't like one of the penalty calls. I, 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 believe, the Schmidt one or? I believe it was the Schmidt one. Okay. I believe he thought that's just Schmidt. Uh, that's just Schmidt making contact with the player right off the bat, not interfering. I, I, I do okay. think, I, I mean, okay. If I'm Rick bonus, you know, and everything is, everything is looked through your own lens. That's the one that I'm most upset with because I can see that case being made. I can see the play going the other way. Uh, I, I see the play most definitely going the other way because someone mentioned it in here. There were chintzy calls going either way in this game. I mean, absolutely chintzy calls. And I think by that point, they'd set the standard that like, if there's anything, anything that looks anywhere remotely like a penalty, like let's put it this way, Ken, the, the Nick Ehlers, the tap on the gloves, it wasn't a slash on the gloves, right? It was a little bit of a tap on the gloves. I think there's most definitely a sell there by Nick Ehlers afterwards. I don't think Nick Ehlers' hand is, left hand is going to be hurting him at all going forward. Um, I think there's a bit of a sell there. But the rules are rules. You're not supposed to get your stick up into the hand, so that play gets called. Even if there's a sell, and I don't think that play is called if there's not the sell, but that's the rules. Well, the rule exists that you're not allowed to step in front of a guy and hold him back in that manner. If you're going to hit him at the point of contact, uh, th then... And there you go. That's a that's a clean play. I think you're just you're into the internal timing of the referee, right? And there's definitely a little bit in there of Nate Schmidt being like, if I don't catch this guy, he's behind me with the puck with speed, and I can tell he's going to get to the puck before the other defenseman does. So to me, it's a little bit of a read, and it's like he's trying to get there before the time expires. And maybe he did. And you know me, I love hits. I don't think there's enough in the league. So I want a league where the rules allow hits like that to live. But I, but I guess what I'm saying is if the Jets are going to get the Nick Ehlers call, then I think I'm okay with the Flyers getting that call, getting the Nate Schmidt call as well. 
Yeah, no, I just I think that Rick I don't think that Rick liked the penalty. I don't think it was he wasn't complaining about the call. What did he say here? Oh, he, he didn't said, like him taking the penalty. He said um, we had everything going our way, and then we take a bad penalty at the wrong time, and they scored. So maybe he just maybe sorry bad penalty. I mean, it's open to interpretation. I'm not there, and this is one of the things. It's tough when you're not involved in the scrum. Um, anyway, I thought maybe he didn't like the. Because, I mean, too, the, the one on Janssen Fialbi is just bad luck. It's two guys with their skates locking in after his own entry by Scott Lawton. So I don't think it was one of those where you'd be saying, oh, that's a bad penalty to take for Janssen Fialbi, no. who did have two in the game. So uh, I guess maybe he just didn't like the the fact that they opened the door uh, to let their opponent kind of get in. But you also have to give the opponent credit for getting back in. And, and that's what you were doing out of the gate. So... I just well, say, I, this wasn't one of the... We know last year there were situations where the Jets had trouble holding leads, and that was due to their structure. So today I didn't really see a bunch of breakdowns or people um, you know, going off on their own program in order to think they could run this into a 6 nothing game. That, that That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying this was a Picasso by the Jets. I just thought it was... A, for a team that was playing 3-4, and four, I thought it was a solid effort on a lot of fronts. And I, I thought that they... I personally thought they played well for the majority of the game. Special teams weren't as sharp as we're used to seeing them, but uh, anytime a team gets two goals from its fourth line and has all lines contributing and gets five assists from the defense core and also gets a eighth win from their <laughs> backup goaltender, uh, I would say it's hard to find a lot of fault in what we saw from the Jets' overall effort, in, especially yeah. as a team that is is obviously struggling you know, they're playing better of late. Yes, I get that. But, I mean, the Flyers are more in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes than they are in the playoff race. And those teams, like I said, this is not an excuse. <laughs> and teams are yeah. going to have to deal with this down the stretch. Those teams are hard to play against, whether you are first in the NHL or battling for a playoff spot or near the bottom. Um, I, I just wanted to make a quick point before before I do something here. Um, I, I wanted to make the point that, you know, of the Philadelphia Flyers getting back into the game, uh, they do it in a way, and I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah, they, they may not have deserved. I think Jets fans are going to, you know, a lot of people are going to say they didn't deserve to get into that game. Into that game. Someone was saying uh, that that was uh, an unnecessarily close game, uh, which I don't agree with. I think you have to give credit. And here's where I'm going to give them the credit. If you take a look, the Jets special teams and their penalty kill i mean it is vaunted it was uh, I, I know it wasn't the number one penalty kill going into this game but i would put that penalty kill up against any penalty kill in the game the way that they've been playing and they started out against the philadelphia flyers just shutting everything down and giving them absolutely nothing so here's what i'll give the philadelphia flyers credit for that first goal by hayes it, you'd said it it's a near impossible angle but you know what they did that so many teams do not do against the Winnipeg Jets power play? They took what the Winnipeg Jets gave them, right? There's a spot there. They've got a guy. So they thought like, hey, listen, there's a lot of players who do this in the league. We, we saw Dustin Bufflin do it against the St. Louis Blues. I can tell you this. Eric Carlson for a while was a cheat code in the NHL where he would go and he would skate the puck. He'd be like right along the boards near the goal line. And he would just fire it off the goalie's mask and in. It, it, you, it, it's not that you have to hit that perfect angle from that spot that Hayes is at. It's that you have to hit the back 
part of the goaltender and redirect it in. It's a bank shot. That's how you get that puck in the in the net is you get it behind the goaltender. So even though it's a tight angle, it's still a play that players will take every time if they've got that opportunity. And so I, I, I like that for, for the Philadelphia Flyers. They went to a spot that the Jets do not cover because they base what they do on covering up high and, and, and closing off the shots coming coming from the from the line and then they shut down right the middle of the ice so the flyers took what was given to them and they did the same thing on the next shot now the next shot's interesting uh i i didn't quite see i think what happens it's i i wanted to say okay this is a david riddick rebound that goes right on the stick of haze and suddenly it's in the back of the net but i think the his own player actually redirected the shot towards him and I don't know if it's one of these moments where it's you know uh, where where I'm giving too much credit for the pass, but I do think that that's a player in that situation who's just thinking I'm just going to try and redirect this in this guy's direction, and I don't think he's thinking it's going to be on his on his stick for a shot into the back of the net. But I do think he's thinking I'm just trying to get it over to my guy in this situation, and it works out. The Philadelphia Flyers did that, and the thing that sells me on this is the Jets are lucky this was a four-three game in their favor after that series of penalties that culminated in the five on three because the best chance anyone had on that was the philadelphia flyers coming back the other way right before they take the five on three penalty so that we have seen the winnipeg jets and they have to because the winnipeg jets before tonight were 19th in the nhl at five on five offense okay they are a team that has been getting by and succeeding based largely on their power play and their penalty kill. More so their penalty kill than their power play, but they've been getting by. And and we don't go out and say that Winnipeg Jets don't deserve to be where they are because they've got a good power play or a good penalty kill. They don't deserve to win these games. We sit here, our chat room says it, Jets fandom says it, we say it because the fact of the matter is it's true. The Jets are earning where they are by being superior at special teams to many teams. On this night, the Philadelphia Flyers were not ready to play out of the gate, found themselves down 3 nothing, ground themselves a goal before the first period, and then got their way back into the game by being the superior special teams team against a team that is one of the league's best. And they deserve credit for that, but Jets come out of it. They keep grinding. Their last goal is the prototypical grind goal and that's why they win because they stuck to it they had the more high danger chance they had the more chances uh this as i said before is the jets this is justice by the hockey gods being served this is a game turning out exactly as it should have based on how both teams played that's my take on it you know what I want someone else's take on this. Let's go to someone on the ground. Uh, he wasn't able to come to the show because he was on the road. He's a little bit of an Ottawa boy, so we couldn't talk to him after yesterday, but he continued on with the team. I'm going to tell you right now, we need to spice things up in here. I think, Kenny, it's time to bring in the hammer. Ah, 
Tammy, we had a great conversation with Tristan, uh, and we let him know about just how you feel about that song. Uh, just awesome. I said, you know, whenever Hammy is like feeling in the doldrums, he'll just go throw that song on, and then he'll like punch a hole through the wall or something like that, or go uh, wrestle the neighbor's dog or something like that and get right at it. How could you not with music like that? Great to see you, totally. my friend. Uh, quest one, the most important thing, have you got a cheesesteak in you yet today? Uh, no. Well, hey, do we have to go over my gluten-free situation here? Like, I don't know. I guess you, you can't can go find bindless. a gluten-free cheesesteak? There has to be one that exists so here's in the, Okay, so here's the fun part about traveling. So I got up this morning at like 7 in the morning or earlier than that. I had to get to the airport for 7. I had two flights. So I had to fly into Toronto and then I had to fly into Pitt, or Pittsburgh, uh, Philadelphia. And so I had a decision to make. I had one hour. So I either take the 10-minute ride to the arena and get there for the avail because there's no other reporters on the trip. So it's being, that was it. Um, or I try to get back to the hotel in an hour. So I got the, I got into a cab, ripped to the cab, ripped, ripped to my hotel, changed because I was in jeans and a sweater, ironed my shirt, ripped back just in time for the avail. And now I'm staying here after the game. I've had absolutely zero seconds. To, to explore a Philly cheesecake so I could bring it's commitment a, right there. It's commitment. Yeah, there it is. So commitment. no, your answer is no. Yeah, I don't, I don't and know. Okay. And the bags, I feel like the, this is also, this is also stop four or five. So if the bags under my eyes are there, that's, uh, that's character marks. That's all. <laughs> also, too, yeah. Henry, you should uh, promote the, uh, the Wade Allison piece as well, right? That was part of the reason you got yeah, to the ring early. Yeah, Wade That was cool. Got a chance to talk to him. You know what? I like that guy's game a lot. Awesome. You know, you know he's just, you know, he's, he's a good personality. He gets it. Um, you know, I had a really great conversation with him today. Uh, just about, you know, just about he's gone through a lot of adversity, but he has a great perspective. You know, this guy's been injured you know, injury riddled since college, really. And even before that, um, but you know what, he's, he, he, he is, you know, he plays that Philadelphia Flyers style. He's that identity. I think, I think the fan base really wants him to be kind of like the next face of this franchise um, just for everything he brings. So yeah, I got uh, that. That's already probably out online. Thanks Kenny. But uh, yeah, it's been a fun trip and certainly, uh, certainly a good game tonight. I was listening to you guys before. I think this was uh I, I think I'm leaning more towards some of Kenny's takes. Okay, um, let's you know, hear them. I thought let's it was, a, you know, obviously a great start. I mean, how many times have we seen the Winnipeg Jets come out, outplay their opponent and have nothing to show for it, right? I mean, I think those to get those three goals, I mean, at one point, um, you know, Mark Scheifele's goal, uh, they were toying with the Flyers for a while. I think this one was going to be, I thought this one was going to be a blowout. Um, I thought, you know, I obviously those late goals those are killers right i mean that 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 ivan provorov goal not much that david riddick could do on that one but you know just it, it just gave the it gave the home the home side some life it gave the crowd some life the crowd was booing after the shifley goal and you know this is this is a relentless crowd here in philadelphia and so that got them back into the game and you know i i'm with rick bonus in the second i think the jets chances might have been better in the second than they were in the first they just they were. couldn't they just couldn't they find the back of the net. I mean, I, you know, you get one or two of those to go in, and, and maybe it is a route. I, I do give credit to the Jets too. I don't think they, I don't think they, you know, how many times we've we seen this team get up, get goal happy, and then kind of break away from their structure as if it's goal night. I don't think that was the case tonight. I thought they, I thought they played a pretty solid game. Um, 
you look at you look at the way that you know they that, that the Philadelphia Flyers scored. I mean, credit to them for scoring, obviously, but the two on one again, as I mentioned, and then two power play goals. I mean, I think the Kevin Hayes shots designed. I think that's a, I think that's a pre scout. Agreed. I think the, the Jets give, agreed. The, the, the the Jets give you the perimeter. They that's give you what, the opportunity, that's... and 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 I think that I think that David Riddick was scouted on that one. I think he goes low a little bit early and kevin hayes i mean i know a lot of jets fans didn't love his time here i'm of the i'm of the opinion that they they ruined their opportunity with kevin hayes i don't think that you know they got the most out of him you know like that um or though i don't i don't like the the um, and, and then and then the, and, and then the second power play goal i mean that's that's hockey man things things fall in your favor you can outplay a team, and all of a sudden, you know, it's three three. I mean, how many times have you said this, Sean, in the past? That that's kind of the Jets' hockey, right? Like they totally. they would they would get back in that game. And then I think the unfortunate part is that originally I thought it was a David Riddick rebound. That's off the skate of Dylan, um, and right to Hayes. So I think you know. There I, we go. Okay. All, yes, all, that's that's what we were trying to figure out. Okay. Yeah. So all, it went off the skate of Dylan. Um, so it wasn't bad rebound control, which again I thought that's that was the case. No, right off the right off the skate. Um, and then credit to the Jets for for finding a way to win at the end. I mean, this is a this is a long road trip, man. They've been to a lot of places. I know I know Philadelphia played last night uh, as well. You know, to a two one win over Detroit, and and so they would have been tired too. But um, you know, this has been an issue. Secondary scoring. I mean, Rick Bonus swapped up the lines, wanted a little bit of an even look against Toronto. I think for that very reason, because he was. You were, he wasn't getting the depth scoring that we had seen earlier in the year. And so for all four lines to get on the board, um, you know, I thought Axel Johnson, Fialbi, you know, had a, had a strong game, a little bit penalty happy there, but certainly at the end blocking shots and, and then that tip. Um, the defense were activated again. That's five points tonight from the blue line. Uh, that puts the Jets into, well, they already were, but the Jets are second place in the NHL in, in points by defenseman, 122 points, two points behind the San Jose Sharks. We're at 124, and as we know, Eric Carlson's having a monster yeah. year. There's half of that uh, <laughs> that he's accounted for. So obviously, I mean, you can say the same thing about Josh Morrissey and how how well he's playing, but certainly you know, got got an opportunity to get this game back from guys like, you know, I thought Kuhlman had a good game leading up to that goal. I thought him and Morgan Barron were driving the net. I really liked that line for but I liked the fourth line and the energy they brought. Um, so all in all, I thought it was a, a, a pretty good game. And, and while they could have ended up on either side, I think the Jets earned uh, deserved this one by the end of it. I'm just going to say this off the start. Uh, I, I agree. I disagree heartily with your very first comment about saying how often do we watch the Jets start off and not get paid off for it. Going into Pittsburgh, the Jets had in 10 of their 13 games up to that stretch had scored on the fourth or less shot of the game in 10 of 13 games. This is a team that by far gets the advantage and gets probably more than it deserves to hop out of the game. This was one of those those times, although that, that's not saying it right. They didn't get more than they deserved. The Maybe it's recency biasy this trip. This trip, I would say. I mean, even Ottawa. Well, even sure, Ottawa, okay. I think more opportunities. Sure. Obviously, Toronto outshot them 16-6 in that period and, 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 and had nothing to show for it. Um, so this maybe, game maybe, is maybe more maybe reflective of what the Winnipeg Jets are. They don't need a lot, right? They, they are a cobra lying in wait, right? Whereas other teams are a boa constrictor and they need to get going and they need to wrap themselves around you and they need to start squeezing to put the puck in the back of the net. The Winnipeg Jets are a cobra that can sit there and not move 
until they do. And when they do, it's a quick strike and it's in the back of your net. And that's why you've got them scoring three goals on six shots to start the game. When they start out the game being outshot six to one, like the beginning of this game, looks like okay it's the phillies in their home barn they're going to start taking to it they're going to try and wear this team down and then what the jets do is they get they get a proper goal with their first goal and then they just capitalize on mistakes by with philadelphia and they're they're the sharper team that you want the explanation of why they're up three to nothing that quick they're the sharper of the two teams they didn't weren't necessarily the harder working of the two but they were the sharper of the two um I just think that, you know, we can't discount like Philadelphia went down and had a three on one at one point in this game. I talked about that goal that they almost scored. Uh, We talk about the David Riddick save like uh, where I disagree with you guys on this one is for every opportunity the Jets had. There were some really, really solid opportunities that the Flyers had that probably should have ended up in the back of the net if a they had the scoring punch that the Winnipeg Jets have, which I don't think they have. I think that's one explanation. But B, David Riddick was phenomenal in this game, and we should get to talk to him. But before we do that, Ken, we just got to make sure we get through some of our business here. Um, first, I just want to say, if I look like I haven't showered in 10 days, that's not it. I shower every day. It's just if I'm not getting dressed by Frank and the boys of Vittorio Rossi, I kind of look gross. I admit it. I look a little gross. I think I've got some kind of stain on my shirt over here. I'm trying to pull, pull it together. It's not working well. I desperately need to go see Frank. And you know what? You need to desperately go see Frank as well if you feel like Rennie. Head on down to Corden Avenue. Go see Frankie and the boys of Vittorio Rossi. They will make you look a lot more like what Jeff Hamilton looks like right now than what Kenny and Rennie looks like right now. Uh, Hammy, uh, you were there and there's some very good candidates to choose from here tonight. What would be your lamplighter of the game? Lamplighter of the game. Um, it's got to be cool, man. Doesn't it? I mean, there was that. That was that to me was the that both teams were desperate. Um, remind me, the lamplighter is like the goal, right? Like the goal. It's not the the the, the goal. Your goal of the game doesn't have to be the prettiest. Maybe the yeah, most important. Can, can, can be the most important. Doesn't have to you know, be the prettiest. I, I think it's I think it's Carson Kuhlman. I mean, I think that line was generating you know a lot of energy in the game. I think that was at a point in the game where it could have gone either way. Um, it we're you know we we're waiting for something to give right. That goal was going to be the momentum for one or the other team. And I think you know you, the if the Flyers come back, I don't know if the you know if they go up four three. I don't know if the Jets come back um, from that. And you know just the just you know even driving the net. I mean I thought that was you know obviously it's a bit of luck there. Clearly you know clearly Sandstrom um, misplayed that or and you know I thought D'Angelo just forgot how to play defense essentially. <laughs> um, no, that's just but, how he plays it. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, exactly yeah, no, but hang on a quick second. Hammy, I think the puck rolled off his stick. I don't even think he was shooting it, to be quite honest. No, I thought he was trying to go back was, post, right? I mean, he was, was trying no to go shot, back post no stuff. No shot there. Like, I think, yeah, so, like, I think he lost it. No, yeah, to be like, honest, hang on. Okay, perfect. To be honest, Carson Kuhlman either pulled off an amazing... Um, he did, you know, you know that, no, Sean, no, that was, he, no, that's the thing. He's the totally Kucherov lost the puck. Has to, he has to have the stick do the wrap around the puck. So it's exactly. intentional. This was drive <laughs> to the net, close your eyes, get a little bit of luck, go through the legs. That was, yeah. uh, you know, and, and well-deserved. Like I said, I think that, I think that, um, you know, these, you know, he's a guy that has been in and out of the lineup recently. I mean, he's got to make a, you know, make his mark. And um, you, you look at a guy like Dominic Toninato and what he's doing with the Manitoba Moose. I mean, 
they might be knocking at the door for some fourth liners here. So I think some of the spotlight was on uh, was, was was on you know that bottom group. So for him to get that opportunity and and to get rewarded for it, I mean, how like look at a guy like look at a guy like uh, Adam Lowry. I mean that. I mean he's he's generating a ton. He can't you know he can't buy a goal right now. So you know credit to credit to Carson Kuhlman. I thought that line overall you know brought the energy and and I think you know he's well deserved of the uh, of, of the lamplighter if you will. Uh, yeah, right. I, I think I think it's a good pick, and I think because of this, the the the, Phil, the Jets started that game and looked like they were going to score their way into an easy victory. Give the Philadelphia Flyers credit; they turned that into a battle of attrition, and then the Jets went out and they won that battle of attrition, and they win it in the fashion of Carson Kuhlman just crashing the net. What do they say when you go to the net? Good things happen, and that's exactly what he did, and a very good thing happened for the Winnipeg Jets uh, and Carson Kuhlman. A very good thing could happen to you if you share with us your lamplighter. Uh, if you do, you are automatically entered to win a frosty delicious eight-pack of lamplighter amber ale from our friends at Transcanner Brewing. If you can't wait for us to hand one out to you, well, head on down to Transcanner Brewing Company. Join them in their tap room at 11290 Keniston that's where we were yesterday for the second Kenny and Rennie live party. It was our second sold-out affair. It was an absolute blast. And you know what? There are options for gluten-free people like you there, Jeff Hamilton. I know that there were some people there who uh, who took part in their gluten-free fare. So we would love to have you down sometime if you're ever able to make it. I know you're yeah. a busy man. I know you're I, too uh, busy to get a I, cheesecake. I listened to the show. It looked like it was a lot of fun. You guys like you know fun. morphed into uh, stand-up comedians. I thought you played off. You played well <laughs> off each other. Uh, you know, I thought you know the energy, the, the background. I thought the fans or the, the viewers watched uh, brought it. And yeah, next time you know. Find me when I'm not in uh, not not in Canada or other we places will, in Canada. Sorry, we will make sure to do that. Uh, time for us to announce the lamplighter winner from the last one. I've got to be a little bit careful with this one because there's no uh, kind of age limit. Sorry, Ken, I called an audible and I'm going to try this out here. But oh, Hey man. Bailey was selected as the lamplighter winner. Now I've seen some comments on this before. I'm not sure if Hey Bailey is of age or not. Uh, so Hey Bailey, I will say this: if you are over the age of 18 the lamplighter is all yours all you have to do is direct message me at sn sean reynolds and leave me your full name your age in this case uh and yeah. and uh email where i can send you something uh, i've got a backup ready show could be a legal um, problems and this is what I'm going to do. I've got a backup picked. If this doesn't work out, there is someone who won here as well. If Hey Bailey does not claim this or is unable to claim this, this isn't going to be a situation where we throw the eight-pack back into it for the next show. I'll hold on to it, and I'll announce the other winner or the backup winner to Hey Bailey if Hey Bailey is not of age, uh, and we'll make sure that they give them their just due or their ability to claim their lamplighter after the next game as well. So you are on the clock. Hey, Bailey, also, if anyone is in the chat room, because the reason why I'm thinking this is from conversations that I've seen happen in here before, and I think I saw someone talking about Haley being underage. Um, so if that's the case, please let us know and we can adjust accordingly. Uh, other than that, it's time to move on to the Johnston Group Got You Covered. Ken, I'm going to give you this one. I think that this one is fairly obvious on the night, and it's probably obvious because you texted it to me already, but I think yeah, it would have been yeah. obvious either way. <laughs> I actually changed my mind after the 
The brilliant backdoor save by David Riddick is uh, is going down as an honorable mention uh, because the shot block by Axel Janssen Fialbi is emblematic of what Rick Bonus talked about in the game itself. Yes, Riddick made a couple of ridiculous saves. One of them off Kevin Hayes on what looked to be an open net, face first diving across, and then actually I thought he made the reason why I changed my mind, Sean. I think he made an even better save in the waning moments of the game, and it was still tied with Konechny in front of him. Right. Uh, it hit Konechny, and then it hit his pad. I think that save was actually better than the open net save, um, just given the circumstances of the game. But I thought Janssen Fialbi's ability to get down and block that shot, uh, making the sacrifice that was... Jeff was in the scrum. I mean, Rick talked about it. The importance of sacrificing in a game where you find a way to win when a player is lost to injury. I mean, Jeff was there. I think Rick said at the end of the game that he's fine, but... Uh, I thought that that play was kind of emblematic of the of the impact the fourth line had in this game, and that's why I'm choosing uh, the block shot by Axel Janssen Fialbi as the We've Got You Covered play of the game, sponsored by the OGs, the good folks at the Johnston Group. Well, I'll tell you this. Top line media says AJF is a very acceptable gotcha covered changeup. And who am I to tell top line media that he doesn't know what he's talking about? So we'll, I'll accept it. I'll let it stand. Uh, and we have to be honorable when it comes to these things because this, of course, is th- this award is named after uh, our Kenny and Rennie OGs at the Johnson Group. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits. Proudly administered by our friends at Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. Guys, uh, a very capable, and I would say in a lot of cases, a good host is able to change things up on the fly. I had fully expected Ken was going to pick uh, David Riddick for that award. And so I was going to use that to transition into a conversation about David Riddick, but he's gone to AJF. But I'm not a very capable and very good host, so we're just going to still go along with David Riddick. I'm changing the conversation in that direction, and I'm going to throw it to Jeff Hamilton uh, and get from you your idea of what you've seen to him up at this point in this year. Uh, I would ask you this, would you have had any expectation that at this point in the season, uh, you would have a backup goalie in David Riddick, who admittedly said to us at the beginning of the season in training camp that he was in a position where he needed to show people he deserved to stay in the league. Would you have thought a goaltender in his position would be rocking a 750 win percentage? You know, I mean, I guess not really. I mean, when David Riddick, when they when they signed David Riddick, I wasn't one of the one of the people who went out and was like, you know, why would they sign this guy or you know whatever. I mean, obviously, has had an interesting run in this league. Has seen the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. Um, that's kind of life for a goaltender. But um, would I have predicted him to be as, as stable as he's been, or as successful as he's been, or or a seven fifty? win percentage i'm not going to go out there and suggest that i don't think so i I wouldn't necessarily have ruled it out i think there's a couple i think there's a couple reasons beyond it i you know i one thing one thing about david riddick too is it doesn't always look great you know what i mean like it doesn't always look clean it's like i think if you watch a game like tonight particularly when it comes to like 
you know, late in the stages. Even even some of those shots in front, man. I mean, I thought the Flyers were not on mark today. Um, shot a lot of stuff over the net, missed the net mm-hmm. a couple different times. Um, but credit to David Riddick. I, I, I honestly think he's the kind of guy that uh, is enjoying being with this team. If anyone who's spent any time around the locker room knows that he's a well-liked guy, he, oh, yeah. he, he gets along with everybody. And I think Rick Bonus said something today that I never really thought about it. Maybe we don't really give you know a guy like Wade Flaherty enough credit um, for what he's done with this team. You know, this is a guy who's been with this organization from the beginning. You know, he, he's... Let's just say this. If Connor Hellebuck, who's one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League, didn't like, uh, you know, Wade Flaherty's instruction, he wouldn't be here, you know? And so I think a guy, a guy like Wade Flaherty comes in, or sorry, Dave Riddick comes in, and Wade Flaherty works with them, works closely with them, and I think he, you know, gets his confidence back. I think Rick Bonus talking to him, you know, I'd wonder what those situations in previous, you know, teams were, were like, you know, was he just, I mean, you know, being behind Saros, I mean, we all know what happened in Nashville. It was just an absolute train wreck. Um, you know, I think Rick Bonus comes in, gives him a vote of confidence. I think his teammates give him a vote of confidence and he's part of this culture shift of supporting each other. And I think he's reaping the benefits of it. I mean, there were a lot, and you look at, you look at his record, and I mean, you go look at some of the games in the past, and he's not getting the run support, uh, you know, in, in a lot of his games. You know, tonight was almost the exception. Obviously, five goals tonight, um, but he doesn't get a ton of run run support. So he's he's winning a lot of close games in a lot of cases. And I, you know, couple stick out to me. I, you know, that one at Mold Arena in, in Arizona. I thought he, you know, he played well in and uh, and and won that game for the Jets when when they were kind of figuring out going through their growing pains of structure um you know i just so i mean look good for him too i mean i think this is you know i think there's a there's something to experience as well and maybe there's a bit of a freedom maybe he you know he comes here and knows that he needs to needs to you know turn heads and 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 prove himself well you know take advantage he's taking full advantage of the opportunity and perhaps playing a little bit freer let's also let's also understand here the jets are the jets are playing much better in front of their goaltender than they than they they have in a while under bonuses structure so you know i you know we've seen connor hellebuck have to bail this team out we've seen david riddick have to bail this team out but we've also seen the jets limit a lot of opportunities and shots to the outside um and i think he's doing a good job at stopping that so i mean tonight Certainly, I mean, as you, the more and more you think about it, the more and more examples you can come up with. Whether it was right at the end making a big save, whether it was you know Kenny brought up earlier that 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 two on one shorthanded after Mark Shifley's giveaway, there was the was it Hayes that he robbed on the doorstep and and the you know like I mean, there's a couple great great plays from him and you know, but Rick Bonus loves talking about timely saves. I think a lot of those big saves came at timely moments where you know the momentum was up for grabs and and. David Riddick wasn't willing to give it to the opponent. So credit for him for, for answering, you know, answering the bell. And, um, you know, I, you know, we'll see. There's still lots of hockey to be played here, but so far so good for a guy who's trying to, you know, rediscover himself in this league. Ken, what's your take? Yeah, Wade has done an excellent job with, uh, with David Riddick. I mean, David Riddick was available for a reason. He had a tough year last year. Um, I think he's done an excellent job. I think I've heard an interview with Paul Edmonds that, that he had with uh, David mentioning his health is much better. Um, he was able to get healthy over the summer and really, I mean, this guy's motivated. He wanted to stay in the NHL and he's done a great job. He's absorbed everything. He's a perfect um, partner um, for Connor Hellbuck. Connor's very serious, as we know. 
Uh, David, very loose. Uh, he's always talking. You always hear his voice when someone else is at the main backdrop <laughs> in the Jets' room. Uh, this guy loves hockey. You can see it during the intermission today. They had him mic'd up for the skills competition. He's always out there having a great time. But this is a guy that put in an inordinate amount of work. He knows he's got a hard job. He's going to only play, you know, 20 to 22 games this year, given the workload that Connor Hellebuck likes to have. Um, I don't, I mean, think it's pretty fair to say he wasn't the Jets' top choice when it comes to the, you know, backup goalies. The the carousel went moved pretty quickly on the first day of free agency. And David Riddick was there, and David Riddick was a guy that Wade Flaherty believed in. He he knew he had potential. This guy was an all-star in Calgary, but, I mean, Jeff, to your point earlier, I mean, David Riddick lost the job to Cam Talbot in Calgary the year that he made the all-star team. Uh, in the bubble, he lost the job. So, I mean, that was sort of the beginning, not the beginning of the end for him, but, I mean, he certainly started to sort of, it was a it was a bit of a spiral, and then his games played went down to almost nothing playing behind Soros. So, uh, this guy went into the shop, he got renovated, and he's come out a different person. Uh, he's really benefiting, I think, from the work he's put in with Wade Flaherty. And, you know, I mean, Jeff, you were there. Rick talked about it after the game in his scrum with you. Um, he said, this guy's a battler. And that's that's what kind of teams rally around when it comes to their backup goalie. I mean, it's not a situation like in Boston where you have Allmark and Swayman and, you know, one guy plays kind of two-thirds or not quite two-thirds. Uh, this way it's going to be closer to, you know, three quarters and one quarter. So, um, you know, teams need their backup to, to survive in a lot of a lot of cases. And it, for the Jets, he's thriving. He's got eight, eight wins. If I had told you he would have eight wins and 12 starts, I don't think a lot of people would have been marking that down on their bingo card for their predictions. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. 262 goals against, pretty solid. Uh, there have been a couple, you know, I would say that was probably skewed a bit by the Carolina game where they scored the three goals with the six on five, you know, with two tip-ins and one where you didn't see it. So uh, I thought that he's he's done a really good job. I mean, does he play the same style as Connor Hellbuck? Absolutely not, but that's okay. He battles hard and he gets the job done, and, and that's all you really can ask for in a backup goalie if you're the Winnipeg Jets. You want a guy who gives you a chance to win, and he's done that consistently. So David Riddick is a battler, right? This is a guy who came in here, and this is the one thing I would argue that the Jets probably saw in him that they thought, okay, we didn't like a lot of what we saw from him last year. Um, I know enough about uh, uh, Flaherty that when he when he's checking out goaltenders, I had a great conversation with him about what he saw in Lauren Brassois before he came here right. and, and thought, you know what, I, I could do something with this guy. I, I see what he's got there. I know what he needs. People are right. When they talk about Wade Flaherty being the goalie whisper and the fact that the Jets have changed over their scout, this, excuse me, their coaching staff and he's the guy who remains here, there's a reason for that. This is a guy who, someone said it in here, has been the secret sauce for this organization. But one of the things I'm sure they would have liked was the fact that David Riddick was coming in here and David Riddick was battling. I think they looked at that, and that's what sold them on David Riddick. David Riddick walked in here first, and he was battling to stay in this league. He's been battling to put an effect on this team. His coach started off right off the bat, just like Josh Morrissey. Hey, Josh, you've been great, but I think you need to up your game. I want to see you in the Norris conversation. He upped his game right off the bat. What did Rick Bonus tell us? Listen, if you want to make the playoffs, you have to have a backup goaltender who's at least 500. Well, the gauntlet is down, right? This team, in order for us to succeed, you've got to win more than you lose. So this can't be one of these things where you come into the game and think you're just minding the net and that's okay. 
things didn't work out for us tonight. We'll get back to Connor Hellebuck and everything will be okay. No, Rick Bonus made it clear to David Riddick right off the bat, we need you to be a player. We need you to be a difference maker if this team is going to get where we need them to get. Now, it's not like it's life and death. It's the, he's If he was 500 right now, he would be 6-6. Six and six. It means four less points for the Winnipeg Jets. They'd still be over the playoff line. Yeah, they'd be a little bit less comfortable, but... It, it's not necessary. This team has taken care of its business without needing that from its backup goaltender, but he accepted the challenge either way, and he's done it because he battled, and I thought tonight there were a bunch of examples of it, that late save right near the end of the game. That's a goalie who's battling. He's not big and boring like Connor Hellebuck, but you know that he's working because he's fighting to get to the puck. He was fighting to get out in this game tonight to get to some of the, the pucks and chip them out of his crease. He fought to make that diving save. And even in the little subtleties of the game, can remind me which player took the penalty uh, off of uh, off of the Flyers to make it a five-on-three behind the net? Connectney. He had, a, Connectney. He had the scoring chance and he tripped Shifley after. One of... One of my favorite moments of that game is after that happens and Konechny gets up and he's busy jawing at the ref because he's arguing the play, but he still needs to get back and get into the play. What happens? David Riddick gets called to the bench and rather than skating full out to the bench, which what does a goalie usually do? He gets called to the bench and that's the fastest you'll see him skate in his life. Get to the bench as fast as possible so that we can get a player out there. What does he do instead? He stops, sees where Konechny is going, sees that Konechny isn't paying attention, and he stops in his way so that Konechny bumps into him. Then Konechny is so pissed off by it, he starts jawing back and forth with him. He baits a player when the Jets are five on four. He baits a player into staying and arguing with him, continuing an extended five on three for the Winnipeg Jets. This is Pierre-Luc Dubois expert level cerebral uh what's the term i use i lost it now uh he's being a cerebral pest he was a cerebral pest in that moment he absolutely nails connecting i love that you're talking about a guy who is fully engaged who is seeing the game at every single level and giving everything he can to make sure his team wins you can't ask for anything more than a guy like that and i do have to say this ken we've had this argument before where i believe that the mvp of this jets team is uh their assistant captain Josh Morrissey, uh, who I think is still very much in the running for the Norris Trophy. You think that it is Connor Hellebuck. I will say this. Their backup goaltender has a higher winning percentage than the Winnipeg Jets have. I think that says something about the importance of the Jets system and the way that they're driven uh, on the back end by who I would say is their captain in everything but letter, Josh Morrissey. Put one in it. Put one in the in the Randy column for that <laughs> no. argument. Hey, that's going to be an all year argument. We get to Good. deal with that all year. But that's a tick in the Randy column for right now, no doubt. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with him. I can here. tell uh, you, Jeff. Uh, Jeff knows that the basketball court is being installed, so he was trying to get to a place that's a little bit quieter, knowing that it was loud good. in the background. So you know what I think that there's a perfect time then right oh, now for us good. to give a shout good. out, to Mr. Sweet Lou. Why don't you give a shout out to our main man, Lou? 
Sure. And uh, if you're in the realty market, if you're looking for a new home, you're looking to buy, looking to sell, looking to see what the house down the street's worth, maybe looking oh. to re- relocate, uh, be in touch with our main man, Lou Furlan of Royal LePage Dynamic Realty. You can reach him at 204-791-9971 or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at lou Furlan. That's L-O-U at L F. Sorry, L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca and his website is www.loufurlan.ca. Uh, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community. Okay, sweet Lou's the man. Okay, I'm going to introduce the topic, the next topic. It's probably going to be our last one here because uh, I know Hammy's got lots to do. Um, I said early on about the way that Rick Bonus managed this game. So you're coming off of a back-to-back uh, against a team that's also coming off of a back-to-back. You both traveled, so for the most part, everything's even when you're going into this. Um, I, you have to find advantages where you can find advantages. I think the Jets went to their skill. I'll argue this right until the end. The best line for the Winnipeg Jets tonight by a landslide was Kevin Stenland. Uh, and his guys on the fourth line. They were phenomenal. They were game breakers. If you want to talk about those swaths of hockey where the Jets were absolutely dominant, Stenland's line was either right starting that or right in the middle of that. And I'll tell you, this is what I mean by game management. So the the Philadelphia Flyers, late in that third period, they take that penalty. Konechny gets the next penalty. It's a five-on-three. But right before that, Konechny had had the best scoring chance that anyone had had on either team in that stretch of time there. We talk about when you're a, a five-on-three or killing a penalty can can actually be momentum. The power play can be momentum for one team, but the penalty kill, especially killing a five-on-three or getting a scoring opportunity like the Flyers did, can be a momentum builder as well. The Flyers were building momentum through that power play or through that penalty kill. They get out of that with that kind of momentum. We may be talking about an entirely different situation here. Now, the time expires on that, but what does Rick Bonus do? And I knew he was going to do this based on the way he was running his lines. He sent out Kevin Stenland's line because they'd done that thing where they sewed the the opposition up in their end, absolutely dominate them, throw the puck to the net, grind it out, and at the very least, what they do is usually they tire the other team out, they take their pound of flesh, or they force uh, uh, an icing the other way, and then they get a top line out against a very tired unit, or they score a goal or something like that. But that was a moment where that penalty ended, and I saw the Philadelphia Flyers puff out their chest and put their shoulders back and look like, okay, here we come now. And instead, Kevin Stenland and his line came out and absolutely ground, and it starts a, a bit of domination there that ends in the Coolman goal. Tonight, Rick Bonus used what the biggest advantage that he had, and it wasn't necessarily their goaltending. It wasn't necessarily their top scores. Over the course of that game, it was their depth and their ability to get their fourth line out and grind them out. What did you think, Hammy, of the way, uh, or, or what impressed you most about the way that Rick Bonus managed that game? I think Rick Bonus, and it's not, not just tonight. I mean, it's um, several times over the season. I think one of his best assets is the and one thing that and you know i hate bringing in the other guy and paul maurice but it's hard not to when you when you look at when you when when i I bring up this example i think that rick bonus is the kind of guy who absolutely understands the flow of the game um particularly when it comes 
when it comes to determining who's has it that night and who doesn't. I don't think he had and and and, Great and, at, point. and and at the same point and at the same time he's not afraid to if you have it to give it to you whether that be more ice time opportunity whatever it is I think he has such a good just feel for each player um, and understands when they're going what needs to be done and that comes with coaching 2600 games behind the bench and so whether it's identifying, like I think when you when he he knows when his third and fourth line's rolling, and if, when his third and fourth line are rolling, they're going to play a lot. And I think that's been one of the the best parts that if you are a depth player on this team, that if you are going to work for it and you're going to and you're going to and you're going to uh, you know and you're going to work your ass off and, and you're going to get the job done, he's going to put you back out there. I mean, Kevin Stenland's out there at the end of the game because of because of his faceoffs ability, right? I mean, he, that's what that's what they like out of him. Um, and I think it, it, it's more than just the flow. I think he knows exactly what this team needs. And I'd be, fe- you know, I think it's interesting. You know, I know we're talking about this game, but looking into the future, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what Rick Bonus does to this team, um, how he wants to build a team. Because right now, he hasn't really done anything about, you know, done anything for himself. Right? I mean, he's obviously looked at some, you know, actually, I shouldn't say that, you know, Axel Anson Bialbi is a pickup, you know, Carson Kuhlman's a pickup. Um, not saying that's necessarily Rick Bonus in and of itself. That's obviously you know the GM Kevin Chevrolet off too deserves credit for those things as well. But I think I think what what um, Rick Bonus his his greatest asset is again reading who's playing well, reading understanding what this team's identity and how to be successful, and then and then doesn't matter the name on the back of your jersey on who's going to win. I think he knows and understands. You know, I think, in, and we used to watch it all the time. I mean, the Jets were, you know, under Paul Maurice, were an incredibly talented team. They were, you know, they, on paper, they deserved to win, but they'd get beat and outcoached by other teams against players that were viewed lesser, but were, pro- were, were going on that given night. And I think, that's, I think that's the best part about Rick Bonus is identifying it and then actually having the guts and confidence and respect of his players to then employ who he thinks is the best in that given situation. Mark Shifley's going to light it up. How Mark Shifley's going to play 21 minutes. You know, he's going to bring it. He's going to get that. But you look at guys, I think they rode that. I think they rode the fourth line tonight in a lot of ways. I think, you know, and so that's that would be my my biggest thing is that is that he just, you know, he knows the game flow. He knows what his team needs. But he also knows, I think, individually which guys are going. That's why he's not afraid to throw a guy on a different line or pop a guy out over here. And, you know, we've seen that happen several times over the year with a guy like Morgan Barron. I think Morgan Barron, I mean, you look at the lineup the other day for Toronto, and I think that was a reward for Morgan Barron. I think he, you know, but to your guys' conversation last last game, I think he identified that maybe he was too not, not as offensively gifted to play with those guys. Um and so, anyways, I just think you know he he just reads the he reads the room well, he reads the vibe well, and then he exploits those players who are taking full advantage of their opportunity, and and we've seen that tonight and other nights throughout the season. Well, no better example here, Hammy. You just mentioned it. I mean, Mark Shifley's ice time tonight sixteen fifty six. Morgan Barron seventeen fifty six. Now, some of that mm-hmm. is management because it's a back to back and three and four, but a lot of that is a reward for those guys and the exemplary work they were doing. I mean. Kevin Stenland, 13-12. Nikolai Ehlers, 14-45. But let's not forget, Ehlers is coming back after missing 36 games. So, And he's been incredibly productive. Now, to me, I know there's all those voices saying, hey, hey, Ehlers has to play 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Now, Rick Bonus doesn't, doesn't need 
Nikolai Ehlers playing 20 minutes on January 22nd. He needs Nikolai Ehlers playing close to 20 minutes on April 20th, May 20th, maybe June 10th if the Jets happen to go on a roll. So uh, I, I agree with you totally in terms of his management, minute management, and even too. I mean, we know Adam Lowry's having trouble in terms of goal scoring. He's going through the longest drought of the season, but he still has an impact on the game and had 18-24 of ice time today because he was winning his matchup. I mean, Absolutely. that's what those players are asked to do. So uh, I think it's important. And I mean, we talked about accountability and, and all those things. I mean, today, Dubois... One assist, nineteen eleven of ice time. I mean, so, and that's what not to say he, that he, didn't, is, he eh? didn't like those other. Like, I, you asked Jeff, you asked about the Lions after the game, right? So he loves the way the Lions have shaken out, and it's really you know took a game or two or whatever to find the right rhythm. But those guys are really all striving and thriving. So, and that's what the Jets kind of need uh, the stretched out balance, and, and that's that's how that's how good teams win multiple rounds when you have threats on the top two lines sprinkled all over the third line contributes the fourth line chips in and and then the defense gets rolling so i mean i agree with you i mean i think that rick's done an excellent job in terms of his game management and uh, you know that's something that he'll continue to do and it's not something that he's stuck on saying oh it has to be this tonight because it's him it's his turn i mean he knows who's going and whoever is going is getting the extra ice time and that's i also think he understands that you don't need your top guns to win you every game i think that was the problem in the past was that if you know whether they were playing well or not it was almost a lack of trust or a lack of you know almost i don't want to say respect it seems a little bit aggressive but it's just i think everybody was kind of painted into their roles and when and when you needed goals it was okay this was the blueprint right and 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 we aren't going to go away from other people and so i also think your point kenny you know we're we're in game four of a five game road trip here um, there's lots at play, as you mentioned, monitoring minutes for a guy like Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, he plays a fast, you know, you know, energy-filled game. They don't need to ride him for this five-game streak. And this is the second game of a back-to-back. So, I, you know, I also think, you know, when you look at a guy like – and we spend so much time talking about Rick Bonus, and rightfully so. Rick Bonus, what he's been able to do with this team – is special there's no there, you know there's lots of other words to describe it but i think that's a good one because you know what he's been able to do is bring this group together bring out the best of them and have you know have them supporting one another but we got to take a look at this staff man it goes well beyond rick bonus um you know from scott arneal who i know you guys talked about last show about you know the potential about him being a head coach i'm fully on board with that i think this guy you know I think he's very much like a Rick Bonus. You know, he doesn't want to be front and center. He, you know, he he's he's. I think he's more than happy to have you know more voices and more input from his players. We look at you know he's the architect of that penalty kill. Um, so obviously he's doing something right. You look at a guy like Brad Lauer and and what he's been able to do with the power play and the forward groups, um, and even look like a guy like Marty Johnson. Now I you know I wrote a story about him when I was in Ottawa. This guy is like. He's so serious and he's so attention to detail and he's razor focused. This guy I loves this, hockey, right? This I mean, guy, like, you know, this is a, you know, this is a bit of a take. I mean, I think Scott O'Neill is definitely going to be a, a head coach one day. I mean, if, I think it'd be a shame if, if someone didn't give him a chance, um, you know, after he's done with, you know, whether that be in Winnipeg or elsewhere. But I got a chance to talk to Claude Julian uh, when I was in Ottawa. He was at the game and Claude Julian was the guy that got, um, that got Marty, Marty Johnson or, or was the first person to kind of plant that seed into Marty Johnson's 
had pretty funny story was finishing his 12th or 20 year old year in, in, uh, in Hull. Uh, they'd won a Memorial cup together the year before. And he was, or two years before in his first year. And then he was captain for the next two. Um, and he was, he was open that globe was going to give him this reigning, uh, endorsement of being like a, a future, a future, like whatever guy had a hundred points, uh, for, for Hull one season was an absolute machine. Um, no, he said, Hey, have you ever thought about coaching? I think he identified that attention to detail, the leadership and everybody's on board. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll do this all day. I know it's not a comparison everybody likes, but it's very much like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in, 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 in their approach in that Mike O'Shea does not pretend he knows everything. He's not a dictator. He brings in good people and then he empowers them. He gives them the opportunity to grow, to want to work for them. We hear about a lot about the players and how we hear a lot about the players and how they'll run through a wall for this guy. Absolutely, they'll run through a wall for this guy. But guess what? So will the rest of the coaching staff because they're excited about what he brings to the table. They, it's genuine in their appreciation and it makes you want to work hard. And, I, and you look at all these different guys, I think they assembled a coaching staff here that is covering all bases, is giving one-on-one -on -one attention to every single part of the roster, um, whether that be pre-scouts, the attention to detail is seems like, you know, I'm not in all the meetings. It's not like, I, you know, I can't say this definitively, obviously, but when I, when I talk to the players, when I, you know, we have these sidebars with players and we talk about the comparisons from this year and last year, you know, these are conversations where it's night and day. You know, there's absolutely no doubt about it that that this this team looks at what happened last year and looks at what this year and doesn't even recognize, you know, this team from last season. And it starts with again that attention to detail in all aspects of the game. And and I think when you when you bring that level of attention to detail, you bring you bring that level of effort from a coaching staff. This becomes, you know, I don't even know what the word is. It becomes like it becomes business and it's business that everybody wants to take care of. And this team is prepared. That's the one thing, whether they win or lose, they are going to be prepared because this coaching staff is, is, is complements each other in so many different ways and delivers, um, you know, night in and night out from all areas of, of, you know, things that they never even used to think about. Um, and I think we're seeing, and that's exactly why the Winnipeg Jets are tied with the Dallas stars for top in the West and the central. Um, Brad Lauer is a guy, I know we just touched on him uh, a little bit there. Brad Lauer is a guy who deserves a ton of credit. I mean, he's the architect uh, behind this power play that I think has really um, done what, uh, okay, here's what I really like about it. He didn't tear it down, right? There's a lot of what the Winnipeg Jets do on their power play that is similar to what they did under the Paul Maurice era. Now, if you think about this, going back to the Dustin Bufflin days, they had one of the best power plays in the entire NHL. Uh, they seem to, at some point, get a little bit too in love with possessing the puck and not getting it to the front of the net. Now, this is maybe a, an easier job for Brad Lauer because they have clearly convinced this team that getting the puck to the net, you don't need to have a booming slap shot to do it. You just need to get to the front and create chaos. So the Jets are a team that goes to the net the way that the old Jets didn't really used to, the way that the old coaching staff couldn't get the Jets to do. 
and they've done a very good job of getting their defense to put the puck towards the net. But Brad Lauer, I think what he's done is, and this is the most important thing, I think what happened with the Winnipeg Jets is they loved the idea of passing and snapping the puck around. They didn't want to take a shot on net unless it was a wide open net, right? They wanted to move it around until a mistake was made, move it over to Kyle Connor. He takes that shot. It's a wide open net. It's in the back of the net. It looks great. Or it goes over to Kyle Connor and everyone sells on it. And Kyle Connor, one touch slap passes all the way across the ice through the seam to Mark Shifley. And the goalie doesn't even try and go across because they beat everyone that bad. That's how the Jets used to want to score on the power play. I think that what Brad Lauer has done, that is like this is hard to do these things are hard to do it's hard to convince people to change their ways but what i think he's convinced the jets of is that they can take more shots it doesn't have to be a perfect play sometimes it's just a shot from the point but i think what he's convinced them and what he's taught them to do is to shoot it but get the puck back consistently i think that was the worry of the jets before they didn't want to take that perfect uh, anything but that perfect shot because if the other team got it and flipped it down the ice it kind of broke their momentum and they just kind of loved the idea of snapping it around for two straight minutes i also think to a degree guys and correct me if you think i'm wrong there was a little bit of hogging the spotlight uh under the old team and a little bit of a co- competition between the first line and the second line and the first line just didn't want to give up possession because it meant they'd have to go off the ice so they didn't want to give up possession I think in this situation, what Brad Lauer has done is he's taught the Winnipeg Jets that, yes, it's good to snap it around. Don't abandon what you did before because you're good at it and it'll work. But it's not going to work unless you get a little bit more volume on the net. And you need to do that. In order to do that, you need to get shots from the point. You need to get Josh Morrissey more involved. You need to get Pierre-Luc Dubois to the front of the net. You need to take those shots. The one thing I do think is Kyle Connor doesn't shoot as much as we would have expected him to. I think he passes up a lot of shots. But for the most part, this is a more dangerous power play than it was last year or in years past because they're willing to try shots that aren't Picasso's. They don't need it to be a work of art or absolute perfection before they shoot and give him credit because we know this from the conversations that Paul Maurice had before he left and the conversations that Dave Lowry had after he left. They were desperately trying to convince these Winnipeg Jets players to get grittier, to go to the front of the net, to get the puck to the net, to put the puck on the net, and they wouldn't do it. And Brad Lauer is one of the guys who did it in an area where, yeah, if I'm going to sell a 60-minute game, okay, get to the front of the net, that works. But the power play is fancy time, right? That's wide open ice time. It's harder to convince guys to do that. Brad Lauer's done that. Give him credit. Everyone on that coaching staff is pulling their weight and making it happen here. And he is just as responsible for that as Marty is uh, or Scott O'Neill is. Everyone is pulling their weight, and it's awesome to see that. A couple points I want to make before we go. Uh, You were talking about the uh, Wheeler change off the top of the show uh, and the pinch that happened by Sandberg there. Ken, I I describe those each as half mistakes. It's a it's only a mistake for Sandberg if he if he doesn't have someone behind him covering and he thinks he has someone behind him covering because Blake Wheeler's there and it's only a mistake for Blake Wheeler to change 
if they have possession and they don't have to worry about it coming. And I think that was a little bit of a, I'm not going to hang those two players out to dry because it's easy in that situation for Dylan Sandberg to think that he's backed up and covered in that situation. And I think it's easy for Blake Wheeler to think that there's enough time for him to get off the ice. It's just one of those perfect intersections of each guy doing something. It doesn't line up. The puck gets behind him and all of a sudden there's a wide open space because Blake Wheeler is making the change. But a half mistake it is no less um dylan sandberg and blake wheeler own the responsibility for that goal i think that's just the way it is last point i wanted to make well, before hang on. we get going that's why i said too i mean i think that that was that's why for me it was situational because it's a three goal right. game there's no need to pinch there i mean it's the end of the period i mean yes if, if you're if you're pushing to try to get the equalizer and move ahead fine so I think the bigger mistake is just in the situational play. I mean, what did it look like inside the building? I mean, Jets were in kind of control of the game. For me, uh, what did you see on that first goal? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw a move that I think in the moment, it's, it's, it's easy to dissect, right, at, at the end. Oh, and like I said, yeah. I mean, the Jets, yeah everything's, going well. everything's going well for the Jets. Everything's working. Every, you know, they're finishing their plays. The, the, the confidence is high. Um, I just think, you know, and to Rick Bonus's comments after those those goals are killers. I mean, you already have a three nothing lead. You you don't need, you can play safe with a minute and, and change remaining. And so while I you know I'm I'm reluctant to be overly critical about the move. I mean, I mean we saw a couple that that were worse plays today that didn't end up in the back of the net. So when it For ends sure. up when it ends up in the back of the net, you're going to dissect it. Um, but I think that's a talking point. I think that you know when Rick Bonus goes over. It with his, you know, whether Sandberg and others about about different situational plays, um, it's going to be to recognize we don't, you know, you don't need to make that play here, right? And so, but again, I mean, that's to me, it's it's um, if it doesn't go in, we're not talking about it. Um, since it did, exactly, we are. Um, teachable I'd moment, say, though, right? I mean, teachable. Did you guys talk about me. the Vancouver sitch or no? Were you, uh, we we talked about it yesterday. Did we? Ken? A little bit. Not we talked about it. I talked about it on OB. Do we want to go there? Here, let me let me just say something quick yeah. before I use the term. Hindsight is twenty twenty, uh, and it is in most cases. Um, People, we love it when people take shots uh, at us here, uh, me especially. I know Central Division Podcast gave me uh, a shot earlier in the show. I'll bring this up because that happened. Uh, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty in almost every case, except for Central Division Podcast, who after my take, and I did the Barry Horowitz, and I loved that he picked up on that. I did the patting myself on the back for saying the Winnipeg Jets didn't need to make a trade to make it through all their injury issues as they walked out of that situation almost in first place in the division somehow hindsight was not even close to 2020 in his case as he made the argument even after it was all said and done that the Jets had needed to make a trade to survive that to fill the holes left behind I still don't understand it I don't get it I just think he's so team Kenny he couldn't admit the loss for Kenny on that one so he is ignoring hindsight. Hindsight is zero twenty for uh, Central Division podcast in this, but I think it's his love for you, Ken, that has driven that. Once again, I've, I'll say it: Ken is a shepherd, but sometimes he leads you astray. Oh, yeah. So don't be a sheep. And everyone out there, every once in a while, you gotta you gotta think for yourself out there. Every once in a while, um, do, you guys want to hey, tackle anything? We talked about we accountability going into the year. Uh, ham, or, uh, we talked about accountability for the Jets, Sean. We're just here to hold you accountable, my man. Yeah, Thank exactly. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. um, and you're let, holding me accountable, too. And, that, and that's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Let, let's get into the Canucks thing. Anything that you guys have to say? 
Start with you, Hammy. You wanted to, you brought it up, so you go first. I just saw some comments and that that were bringing it up. I didn't know if you guys had talked about it. I mean, I'm, I have, I have an interesting take. Um, it's not exactly aligned with everybody else so much. Uh, now, look, I'll preface it by saying this: um, what the Vancouver Canucks organization did to Bruce Boudreau was an absolute joke. I mean, I don't think anybody can argue with that. Um, reputation matters uh this is an incredibly small league we the, these kind of stories linger for a very long time i mean um there's examples we can pull out across the league where coaches get treated badly um you eventually get over it i mean there is only 32 jobs so it's not like it's hard to find you know someone for a job but it's an embarrassing situation in vancouver the whole year has been embarrassing for and it's top down i mean the 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 decision making i mean rutherford is so old school he's embarrassing um it's just a bad look at how they handle business and to me it's 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 um it just was it it just dragged on far too long you can fire a guy and put a guy as an interim and let just you know and then figure it out it was like they needed to wait till rick like rick talkett said yes or or like worked out it like it was so obvious they were working his contract out behind the scenes that they finally you know figured it out and then have a press conference and put the cherry on top by like blaming the media and speculation as the as the trigger here oh, so i mean there's ridiculous. absolutely i just first and foremost think you know the vancouver canucks it's a black eye on their organization um i just you know i i, I you know i i'm very interested to see how things work with rick talkett i don't think he's the slam dunk that um, you know, necessarily out there. I think he's a good coach, but we'll see what he, you know, I think it's pretty funny that I saw that link about it before when he went out and talked about the next time he takes a head coaching job, it's going to have to have structure. It's going to have to have, you know, strong leadership, all this stuff. It literally is a list of everything that the Vancouver Canucks aren't. And so I think that's an interesting move, but I thought the whole Bruce Boudreaux thing was just ridiculous, man. I thought it was ridiculous. Like, this guy gets paid millions of dollars to be a head coach. I get he's a good guy, man. I get it. Like, and he's des- he deserves so much better than what he got. And I'm not talking about the I'm not talking about the tears and all those things. I mean, I I know it's an emotional situation. This is a guy's livelihood and everything. But I just and and you know, call me the guy who like, and this isn't a what aboutism because this is real life. There's a lot of people who have tougher gigs in their jobs and get way less. Like, you know, like the, the employer situation. I mean, Bruce Brujo signed a contract to be a coach for as long as he's the coach until he's not the coach anymore. Bruce Brujo should have got fired this year, right? For the performance of the Vancouver Canucks. It's not like, I mean, that whole, like when your team, when you don't, when, when your identity is up and down the way it is in Vancouver, you don't deserve a job there. And so I just felt like, you know, as much as I felt for Bruce Brujo, I just felt like it was, it was just a little much every single day. It's like, you know, people are saying they're trotting him out to be, you know, to, to, to talk to media when he's, a, you know, when he's a sitting duck. There's so many coaches in so many situations where they're a sitting duck. And I just, to me, I just, I just found it to be like a little much at the end where it was just like, okay, like, you know, Bruce Brudrow is going to be fine. He, he might even get a job out of this based on the fact that he's such a likable guy and he is a good coach. And he's been, and, you know, I, I know his backstory where he's worked incredibly hard and grinded to be, you know, a coach, but this guy has been, you know, he's been a coach for a very long time. And so I just felt the whole thing was just enough. And I'm just, if anything, I'm just glad it's over and we can move on and, and, you know, get back to hockey and less about the drama of the of the Canucks for a team that's not nearly as good you know is not good at all the fact that they're taking up this much space is 
a little much to me. Ken? A lot of oxygen there for sure. And I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, Bruce is an awesome person. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He was put in a very untenable situation. He was not, he was not hired by Alvine or Rutherford. So you, you had the feeling it was probably not going to end well. Um, I think one thing too quickly, Jeff, I mean, I don't know if this was confirmed yet, but there was a lot of talk that Tockett had a four week, he had to give four weeks notice. So I think that's probably why the, you know, the drama, the soap opera dragged out to TNT in order to leave. Yeah, apparently like that's something that I, like I said, I don't know that that's hundred percent confirmed, but that was one of the things that was floating around out there. It kind of lines up, it kind of lines up close to when the first news was reported. Um, Anyways, that's neither here nor there. I find it super interesting too, Jeff. And I mean, you followed the coaching. Like Rick Bonus is on the Jets shortlist, right? So there were a lot of discussions, and they never could get to the finish line. So I'm curious, what would be more the reason why things like this happen? I mean, Rick Tockett worked in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization with Rutherford and Alvine. That's not the only reason he's getting the job, but these guys know him well. Uh, they know he was able to manage a couple of interesting personalities. I mean, Phil Kessel um, wired a little bit differently. Same for, you could, some people would argue, same for Evgeny Malkin. Like, he really resonated with those two guys. So what the Vancouver Canucks, uh, one of their biggest issues moving forward is having a coach that resonates with JT Miller. So I think part of their bet on Rick Tockett is that JT Miller will return to the 90-plus point player that they saw last year that they gave you know a multiple multi-million dollar extension to that hasn't even kicked in until next season i think the timing to me is really interesting guys for a lot of, for a lot of reasons including the one where i mean i listened to jim rutherford's presser this week he was only half kidding but he said it feels like we are tanking so if the canucks want to get themselves into the connor bedard sweepstakes why do you even bring in Rick Tockett until next season? I mean, what, what kind of culture are you setting if you're kind of in a lot of ways trying to lose to better your draft percentages? I mean, that's the thing to me that the timing is very odd. Uh, I don't like how Bruce was kind of left to the wolves here. I mean, if they were going to get rid of him, they could have given the interim job to Mike Yo or whatever they were going to do there. But um, I again, it's just wasn't really handled very well at all. I mean... The, People saying that, you know, the Canucks have, you know, become the laughingstock. I mean, the Canucks have had this kind of ridiculous turnover, like basically since 2012 or 13. I mean, this is not news. After their run. Yes. So after they went to the final in game seven and then won the President's Trophy the next year, only to be, you know, bounced by the LA Kings. I mean, they've had tons of turnover at GM, at head coach, at assistant coach, and everything else. So, um, I mean... This is we talk about recency bias all the time, Hammy. I mean, to me, the Canucks have been kind of in a downward spiral for almost a decade here. So, I you know, is it worse or is they're kind of like Philly? They got one foot in rebuild and one foot right. in, in, in 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 thinking that they they're a couple moves away from from turning things around. And so, uh, you know, and it's you know. I, I see some comments here and it makes sense. The, the whole JT Miller and you mentioned it too. They need a guy to, you know, they've signed him. He's their future unless they can deal him. Um, they need someone to resonate with him, right? I mean, obviously Bruce Boudreau was not the guy. Um, Rick Tockett is a very much a player's coach. That's been his, yep. you know, his MO. But I mean, so is Bruce though. So is Bruce. I mean, that's Ab- the thing. Yeah, ab- it absolutely. just seems kind of 
They're different in style, though. They're sure. different in style. They're, they're absolutely different in style in the sense. But, and um, structure, I guess. That's the biggest thing that Canucks have also been dealing with in terms of their own ice product this year. But it's, yeah, like, I mean, it's, but it's one of those, I just, yeah, like, I mean, this is a business, man. People get treated like shit every single day in this, in this business. Players, you know, people get sent for, you know, nothing. It's just like, you know, so a couple comments in here. Bruce Boudreaux is going to be fine. He's going to continue to make the money that he was guaranteed this year and you know i don't think he's done coaching and if he's done coaching what is he like 68 years old like isn't he he's older than rick i think right i mean he is uh, older than rick is he not right and the other thing if tnt i mean tnt could easily hire rick or i I saw that comment (laughs) right i mean perfect would that be if tnt just brought him in to replace rick after rick replaced him that would be that would be on tnt's brand let's push for it write a column on it because he was great um, when he was on the NHL network. I mean, when he was in between jobs. So, I, hey guys, I want to. I actually want to take on. Uh, I want to take on Kenny's. Or sorry, Hammy's uh, take on this. Uh, first, though, uh, it's been called for. I got to make it happen before we shut this thing down. Uh, we've heard so much good music here tonight. Let's hear more. Let's make this a oh, Sean's no, headband version of Kenny overtime Randy. version. Of- All right, I, I wanted to take this on. Uh, okay, first, there's a couple things about this Vancouver Canucks situation, and someone put it here. Jeff Bowes says 22 coaches, 12 GMs, and Canucks 50 years. Um, just the la- there was someone who put out a list of uh, the amount of coaches that they've gone through in the last 10 years since what you were talking about, Ken. Their glory days right at the end of you know the 2000s into the 2010. Um, this franchise can't figure it out, and it's not the coaches that are the issue here. It's probably not the. It, it's probably not the GMs either. We're not talking about the president of hockey operations. This is an issue that goes right to the very top of this organization. I've said this before, the Winnipeg Jets are a great hockey team. You want to know why they've stayed, uh, you know, drafted the way that they have, connected with the audience the way that they have, uh, contended the way that they have. It starts at the top of it. You know, nobody's perfect, but Mark Chipman is a guy who's brought in a team handled it in a classy manner you'll see that in the comments of people like rick bonus who walks in here you'll see it in the way that they handle their thousand game ceremonies the jets put a lot of thought into trying to do things right and they do a lot of things right it's one of the reasons they're a team that has made the playoffs as much as they have for the last little while drafted the way that they have have the coaching staff that they have right now have a guy uh like wade flaherty are able to spot guys like that are able to have the success that they have with the manitoba moose this is an organizational thing. Culture starts at the very top, and the culture stinks for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I'm going to get into the, uh, the the coaching situation there. I don't know that he's necessarily okay, Hammy. And, and here's the deal. I, I get everything you're saying. I get that people are treated poorly in the NHL at all times. I get that he's still going to get paid, and he's going to get paid far more than us, and he's in a far better financial situation. And, you know, maybe if someone offered me a certain amount of money, I'd let them treat me like absolute shit in order to, to make that money. Maybe that's the case. Here's the deal. The Vancouver Canucks took their coach and absolutely robbed him of the one thing that coaches 
have to have in order to get respect and operate in this game. Coaches have to have authority. And they stripped Bruce Boudreaux of every shred of authority that he had, not only in front of his players, but in front of the entire hockey world and paraded him around like that ongoing for weeks now i can tell you this guys kenny i think i said it to you uh, i took uh, my wife and daughters out for dessert we were downtown couldn't find a place to go stopped in at highs just because it's not a place we would go baked expectations was all out of cake so we stopped in at highs to grab a dessert and we ran into the canucks coaching staff and bruce boudreaux was there and bruce boudreaux at that time Mike Yo said hi to me. He says, walked over, shook his hand. He said hi to me. Bruce Boudreaux at that time looked like he was walking around eternally punched in the gut. The fact that he saw that I was a media guy, he was instantly uncomfortable. And Bruce Boudreaux, everyone will know this, has been one of the best guys with the media in the history of this game. Ask them how they feel about him during his time in Washington or in Anaheim or especially ask how they felt about him in Minnesota Wild. Like people love dealing with this guy because he always treated people with respect. He always loved meeting with the media. And it was so obvious how uncomfortable he was in this situation. And I think what they did, the Vancouver Canucks did to him was the worst thing you could possibly do to him. They stripped him of whatever authority he had and kind of laid him bare. And I honestly think this, Hammy, I think it would be hard for a team going forward to hire Bruce Boudreaux now. And I think it's because he's been left to look like a guy who had no control in a situation. And what you want from a coach, whether they go, you want a guy to go down swinging. You want a guy to stick by his guns. You want a guy to, to you know, kind of somewhat go on, on his own terms. You know what? I got fired. Fine. But I did it my way. And how many guys get fired and go somewhere else because they ended up doing it th- their way? This didn't happen with Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce Boudreaux was stripped. He was laid bare. He was left naked by his organization. And it's hard to recover from something like that. And I don't know that there's a lot of teams that are clamoring and lining up. I don't know that there are people clamoring and lining up to hire Bruce Boudreaux right now because of this situation. It did not need to be that way. And let's just add something else to this. Bruce Boudreaux led a phenomenal recovery by the Vancouver Canucks last year who were a lost organization and came in, created change that almost got them to the playoffs and then started out this year to think that Bruce Boudreaux isn't capable of doing something special and to hang him out and put the spotlight on him as the problem with this team for last season, starting in the offseason by not giving him a contract going forward. They took that guy and gave him absolutely zero credit for what he did but one thing I'm seeing in that organization is no one seems to figure out what's wrong with them. No one can figure out why they can't figure this thing out, why they're just an absolute garbage fire. But they're do- they did their best in this situation to pin it on Bruce Boudreaux. And I'm lucky. or I-, I think we're lucky. I think the hockey world got it right that at least in this situation, they tried to use him as a scapegoat and the hockey world isn't letting them do that. I still think it makes it t- tough for him to get his next job there. 
I still can't get over the fact that you walk into highs with your family for dessert. Like I don't, you know, like I know, I know. So, you know, like, Rennie's a Rennie's a fancy guy, he, he, and he, and I walk in he, like this. He said too. baked expectations was closed, so the next option no, you took was no. highs. Like it's on the way you, home. Did you on the way home? On the way home. Oh, here. By the way, I'll say this. I stand by this. Hey, if there's any bakers out there. Winnipeg is vastly, vastly missing dessert joints, like straight up dessert joints. I had people coming into town. They were looking for recommendations. If you're trying to recommend someone a dessert joint specifically, it's baked expectations and there's nothing else open after like six o'clock. So, hey, any of you people out there who know how to make a good New York cheesecake, a good chocolate cake, a little bit of a flan or something like that. Go open a place. Rennie will be waiting outside your door, salivating on the window. We need more of that in Winnipeg. There's a giant hole in the city for that. Well, I just here, here's the thing. Let's not get things twisted here. I started by saying that Bruce Boudreau got treated like garbage. There's, there, there, right. We're not, we're not, I agree. Dis- yeah. We're not disagreeing with that. It's this whole, like, farewell tour. Like, he might not get a job. He's 68 years old. He's been coaching for how many decades? Like, I don't know. Maybe he does get a job. Maybe he doesn't. Like, I, I don't, I just don't get it. And, and again, like, I get it's, it's, it's all relative to each situation. There's lots of people who get treated like shit at their job all the time and don't make any of that kind of money. And I just don't, to me, it's like, yeah, did they treat him in the worst way possible? Did they, did, I think it's speculation that, you know, other teams are going to look around and go, this guy got stripped naked of all his responsibilities and powers. And therefore, you know, he's a bad coach. His resume speaks for itself. You mentioned it last year. I mean, he 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 brought in some major excitement into an organization that hadn't felt that that in years. You know, he. why do you think you have fans cheering for him? What fan base cheers for a coach whose record what is his record right now? His record, the record's 18, 25, and three. They're two and eight in their last 10 games and have lost three in a row. If that was Winnipeg, uh, bonuses ass would be called for right now. Like, yeah, I, I, like, I think what you're seeing there is an acknowledgement and a knowledge from the fans that there's a person. problem with this organization and they're, they're pinning it on someone. I think that's their way of thumbing their nose at team ownership and saying, we know what you're doing here. We know exactly what you're trying to do. We're not going to let you do it. We're not letting you scapegoat this guy because we know you are the problem and we know you're doing nothing about it. And I think that's their way of Oh, and I love that about the fans. I'm not, I, think that, I think that's a testament to, yeah, I think it's a testament to that fan base's knowledge that they're that you know agreed that, agreed. that they're calling out the your it's very much like what's going on in ottawa or what was going on on in ottawa with eugene melnick they literally put you know took would refuse like even though they like the senators would not spend money on tickets they let their voices get heard and and i think there's better days on that note there's a lot of better days for ottawa coming up here they got some you know they were packed house on on friday or on saturday sorry um, and I think with the new ownership group, there's going to be some exciting things there. But yeah, I, I, I agree with a ton of your points. I don't think we're not far off in, 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 in how, you know, like I think you gave a great, you know, um, breakdown of, of how you think they did Bruce Brucho dirty. I'm not arguing one second here that they, they that didn't do him dirty. I'm just, I'm just saying it's one of those things where it just went, it went on too long. Like, you know what I mean? It went on, you know, and I think, you know, you're paid to do a job. You're paid to go out and talk about it. You're paid to coach. Every coach in that situation, this is, you know, is going to put their head down and do their job until they're no longer doing their job. And I just felt like a lot of the drama spilled into the media and became like a, a farewell, you know, thing. Every, you know, the top of every sports show. I think that's what Winnipeg needs to do if they want to jump the Toronto Maple Leafs and, 
you know, as, as the headliner is, is have got of those moments. It just became to me jumping on a juicy storyline, um, you know, where there's just, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to take away one, make one argument against a very legitimate argument that the Vancouver Canucks organization is a clown show and the way that they treated Bruce Boudreau is, you know, was inappropriate, you know, gross, whatever you want to use the, the words. They were ridiculous. I just felt that, you know, the whole thing is that I thought Bruce Boudreau goes, well, you know, why couldn't he go out there and be like, I'm going to coach until I'm not coaching anymore? Not, oh, I don't know what's going on. Like, in fact, he did know what's going on. He named Rick Tockett in his last you know, you know, they they told him they, they brought him into a room and said, you're not going to be the future coach here. And so to me, it's just like, yeah, that he got done dirty. But I don't know. I just don't you know, like I, I'm obviously team Boudreaux. If it's if it, if, if you're drawing a line in the sand here, it's just like, come on, man. Like, I, I think to him, it was more a realization that this is the end of the road for him, not because I think he's blackballed. From the NHL, or that that what they did to in Vancouver, I think I think that Vancouver was the was the team that threw him a lifeline. I think he was done before Vancouver came to him and paid him what three million dollars a season. Like I don't think yeah. he was getting a job anywhere else. And then you bring in a new Agreed. management, you bring in a new new group of people. Guess what? That happens all the time. They're going to get rid of their people. They want their people. You have your star player who doesn't like your who doesn't like the coach. You have a record that's abysmal. You have a team that has no identity. Who doesn't? Who, who you don't know what you're going to get night in, night out. That's the coach. So as much as people like, you know, the players like Bruce Brujo and went to his room and did the one-on-one. If they really liked Bruce Brujo, they would have they would have busted Made their from. asses and been a better team. That's how you show your coach that you care about him. You don't not not a goodbye on his way out when he's doing his farewell tour. Fair yeah, enough. Only, and just one quick one. I mean, the goaltending, obviously Demko was a guy who we expected to be high end and they're basically rolling with two guys who's spent the majority of their career in the minor leagues. I mean, that to me is on management a little bit more than coaching, but Jeff, you're hundred percent right. They're, the structure is <laughs> the, the Canucks structure, you know, even last year when they went on the crazy run, I mean, I think they just got in on a heater. It wasn't that they were playing the sound defensive hockey. I mean, they're high, high end goaltender who got hurt this year played well i mean show me a great coach i'll show you a great goalie right i mean that's the back to that theory so yeah it's just unfortunate this dragged on the way it did and uh you know uh unfortunate for a lot of levels that's for sure and i will say this hammy if you were suggesting i think you were that maybe just maybe bruce boudreau torqued this a little bit in front of the media I would say you're 100% right in that assertion. Uh, hey, I just wanted to make a distinction here because I know I'm taking some heat for this. Rob Mahoney says, holy mackerel, drop it in for dessert at High's. Nice. Wow. Don't well, be getting you all crazy get away with that. People. I needed to, to set the scene. I, no one would have believed I ran into him at a Perkins or anything like that. I was setting the scene. People need to know before you think that Rennie's too big for his britches. Rennie and his family pulled up to highest for dessert in my 2007 Toyota Yaris, which I've been driving since I bought it in 2007, making very little money working uh, at uh, Global News in Winnipeg. So uh, Rennie is not uh, too upscale. I think, Ken, you could probably vouch for that. No Sean doubt. Reynolds uh, is David Riddick. He's a battler, people. Come on. He's not <laughs> going for $30 desserts every day. Come on. 
Not every day. We Stick did that. Stay true. You got to you got to treat five, yourself once in a while. You got to treat yourself once in a while too, though, buddy. That's all. That's all good. That what that one hurt. Just find an open windowsill would be where you find your desserts. You know what I mean? Yeah. What are you taking Hammy and I for the thirty dollar dessert too? Like boo boo bear. Like boo boo bear stealing a pie off the ledge. There you go. Hey, I gotta say before we get going here, it's time to hand out our dig deeper our home field dig deeper award this one is going to owen is owen i think i got that right this time around the coolman goal was an example of earned luck over time after doing the right things for that reason it's my lamplighter this is exactly right this goes to the heart of it the winnipeg jets deserve to win this game i think a 5-3 victory is perfectly emblematic of how good the Jets were in this game and how good the Philadelphia Flyers were in this game. I think 5-3 score is a just score, and I think this is why the uh, Jets win this game. As Owen, as Owen says, the Coolman goal is an example of earned luck over time after doing the right things. The Jets most definitely did more of the right things in that game. That's why they won. They're, that's why they are on a two-game heater. Uh, Hammy, one of the conversations we had at the end of the show last night with Tristan Rivers, the author and performer of your music, Ken's music, and my music. One of the things that I talked about that kind of blows me away about him is the different styles that he did, but how he kind of captured things. He gave us a little bit of a conversation about like when he wanted to write your music, he was like, how am I going to handle this? And he's like, well, what does Hammy bring to the show? He brings energy. So that music, when you play it, and you know what? I'm just going to play it just quick because I want to have intensity also. I want to get intensity in the conversation. So let's play it one more time here. Oh. So that song I, I is thought you a were gonna per- end it. I thought you were gonna end the show like you did last time or when, when no, we were in Chicago no. and did the headband and disappeared. That was crazy. I, I wanted to play it so people could because I think this is a fascinating conversation. He went in and wanted to build a song, and what he wanted to do was reflect you. And I think what he did was he perfectly encapsulated A, your energy when you come into the show, B uh, your your relationship to this show, like the dropping truth bombs and dodging Sean's grenades, like that's something that happens in this show. I think he captured the way that you can kind of disrupt the norm, the, the way that we have Kenny doing the head pop. And it's like, and, and the one that I totally absolutely loved about this is like he kind of turned it into this expected outcome. When we put that song on, and the line about you making the show go overtime. It's something you've done since the beginning. We bring you on and we can't stop talking. And I look at the clock here and we've gone 45 minutes over. This is, he perfectly encapsulated your relationship to this show. He nailed it. And I knew as soon as we brought you on and we brought you on early for me to try and limit the overtime. We still went 45 minutes long. We went long because as always, your takes are bang on. They're great. I love your different perspective. You rocked it. You rocked your energy. Great job, Ken. You did as well. And of course, the chat room brings it as they always do. Congratulations. Owen is Owen for being our home field dig deeper award winner. Uh, Congrats uh, to uh, hey Bailey, who it, I'm seeing from the chat room is not the underage Bailey. I'm thinking it is, so make sure you get a hold of me. You guys know what you got to do. You got to direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me your uh, information, your full names, and your emails. Can you have something to say? Home field for marketing and more. 
homefield.ca. Homefield for marketing and more. There you go. I also and want to uh, say honorable mention to you, Sean, for digging deeper when your family was needing dessert at the most <laughs> incredible time and the stores were closed and the bakeries were, were ready, you know, we're only hours away from, from opening and, and getting ready. You found a solution and you got them to highs and you got that and you got that that dessert. So honorable mention the, the, to you. There's a difference between digging deeper and digging a hole for yourself. And you're digging a hole in our relationship right now, Kenny. I, I got to say that the old Toyota Yaris went without a tank of gas for, for a week after that one. Uh, Rennie had to hop on the bus for the rest of the week. Uh, I'm going to end this show the way I always end it. And that's to say, if you appreciate these conversations that are happening in spaces, spaces like ours, Illegal Curve, Winnipeg Sports Talk, please Please appreciate the sponsors who are fighting to keep these conversations going in these spaces. For us, that's Vittorio Rossi, the TransCanada Brewing Company, Johnson Group, Lou Ferlin, and Homefield. Thank you so much to them. Thank you to you all. We are looking forward to chatting with you the next time. Hey, are, are you able to find a, a version of a Nashville hot chicken sandwich that you can eat, Hammy? Oh, I'm going to paint the city, man. I'll find a couple different options. Yeah, what? Yeah, absolutely. I get. I my flight's at 7:30 in the morning on purpose. I want to get there ASAP. It's a day off for the Jets. I'm going to get my story out of the way and going to enjoy uh, everything that Nashville has to offer. Atta boy, as you should. As best, everyone, it's the best should. city to end a five gamer because you just run off adrenaline there. So I can't wait to hear the the live music at 9 a.m. I'll be there two hours earlier, just ready to go. Oh yeah. In bed by 9.30, I'm sure. That's how it goes when you go Absolutely. to Nashville. Um, thank you, everyone. Hammy, you did great. Kenny, you always do great. Chat room, you rocked it. Thank you so much. We'll see you after the next game. After Hammy is limps his way through his last game of the road trip in Nashville. Bye.